0: Let's get to this. And and as I said, I'm calling this the end of the beginning. We, we learned about Genesis. I, I quoted a professor uh, way back who said Gen, uh, the rest of the Bible is a commentary on the book of Genesis. Uh, and I thought that was a very good statement because especially as I've delved into it, many of you have been kind, told me things that, that how meaningful it was to you, as things you've learned and all of that as we've gone through. But, but the same is true for me. I've studied harder the book of Genesis this time than I've ever studied it in my whole life, at least as a whole book. And uh, and and just God keeps opening doors. And as I said, I'm going to say it again, I'd like to go back and start over, but it's been a year and a half. Y'all ready to move on. So I do want to tell you, that's what I was leaving out. In two weeks, uh, I'm going to leave preaching a Bible book. And we're just going to do, it be about uh, a little bit more than two months, probably about three month series on the, the attitudes and Connecting them to the fruit of the Spirit. The Beatitudes are in Matthew 5. Fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5. uh, 5, uh, Both those chapters. And we're going to show how those work together. And then in September, uh, as we get toward the middle of the month after Labor Day, I want to do a Sunday night, uh, every Sunday night, teaching on the churches in the book of Revelation uh, in those first few chapters. So uh, just put that down on your calendar, and, uh, and we want to do that uh, coming up. But let's get into, uh, into this. And here is a, a point I want you to take home with you today. Your ability to forgive lies in your ability to be forgiven. And I'll explain that as we go. I'm going to do something I have done in a while. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so if you'll stand up with me. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past... Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There shall you bury me. Now therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, that I will, and then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up, bury your father, as he has made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. And when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land of of the Canaanites saw the mourning on the uh, threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named abel Mizraim which means meadow or mourning place. It is beyond the Jordan. And thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah in the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite, to possess as a burying place. And after he buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone out with him to bury his father. Joseph lived 110 years and Joseph saw saw Ephraim's children of the 3rd generation the children also of Maker the son of Manasseh were counted as Joseph's own and Joseph said to his brothers I'm about to die but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob and when, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear saying God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this concluding portion of scripture of the book of beginnings. And so, Lord, we just pray, as we've prayed all along, open our eyes that so we can see wonderful things out of your word. God, you still have much to teach us, and we see the beginnings of all things here in this book we really go back to basics here. And so, Lord, the lessons we've learned, reinforce them in our lives. Help us to know those things and learn those things. For the rest of your scripture unveils what all of this means and shows us your great plan for Jesus to come and save us from our sin. And so, Lord, as we fight the fight that, that uh, is between heaven and Satan, God, may we be uh, faithful soldiers in your army. May we Uh, Spread the gospel to every creature we can Telling them of the love of God for them Give us your grace to do that Help us this day And Lord we ask you to bind our enemy That we can see these wonderful things In Jesus name we ask that Amen Y'all can be seated I read the whole chapter Because I just kind of wanted to talk through it And and help you see And and the first 14 verses Kind of long gives detail about what's going on but, but I want you to catch, this is the end of the beginning. This is the end of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, Joseph could kind of be counted as one of the patriarchs, but not really. God appeared to Abraham, God appeared to Isaac, God appeared to Jacob and revealed his will for the Jewish nation to each one of them individually. When it came to Jacob, Jacob is the one who tells Joseph what God had promised. And so then it became the father to son transmission of that promise that God had given and we and we come to Jacob and Jacob of the patriarchs he is he is kind of the the most controversial character I guess out of those three in that that he was he was bad from the beginning I mean uh, he was a twin he had a twin brother Esau uh, not not uh, identical twins but whatever you call the other uh, maternal twins I think it is And when Esau Esau was born first, but the Bible says that those boys were fighting in the womb, so much so that their mom asked God, what is going on? And he said, there's two nations in your womb, and they're going to always be fighting each other. And Esau is the father of of the, uh, um, can't get it out. Not the Jews, all right? The Jews and Arab uh, nations, and uh, uh, they're, he's the father of the Arab nations, and they still have contention. And when and Esau was born first. But when he got on out there, Jacob was holding on to his heel and he comes out right behind him. He was contentious from the beginning. And in fact, his name means deceiver because he he, uh, he deceived his father. He stole his brother's birthright. He got the blessing. He, he, saw, he got Esau to sell him the blessing and the birthright uh, is lost. And Jacob was known as that. And then... He, it got so bad, Esau wanted to kill him. And his mom says, you need to get out of town. Go get your wife back in my hometown. So Jacob takes off. And on that journey, God begins to deal with Jacob. And Jacob's life begins to turn towards God. It's almost as if he rejected the God of his father. But God appears to him and brings him in. And, and he has a lot more trouble with his kids, with his wives, with his father-in-law, all of that. But he started getting all that straight. And we come down to this great famine in the book of of Genesis and God had taken Joseph and put him in charge to save his father and his brothers and now we come to Jacob dying in the last chapter at the end and I've just read to you what happened after Jacob died Joseph's sorrow, how they embalmed him didn't know if you knew it took that long to embalm a person uh, in Egypt they mourned for 70 days that's a pretty long time it's two months and ten days if you weren't counting it up and uh but, but he asked, Jacob had asked, don't leave me here. Take me back to Canaan. And I just want to pause on that point to show you something. Why did he want to go back? It's not homesickness. I mean, you know when you're dead, you don't know what they did with your body, pretty much. I mean, maybe you do, but, but you're not feeling it. Why would he want to go back? I believe it was a sign of faith. I believe that Jacob... Wanted to go back and say, I know all, and, and maybe preach a sermon to his sons. Guys, you're going back. One day you're going back. So take me and bury me there. I don't want to be left here in Egypt. And you, when you go back, I'm so confident God's going to keep his word. Bury me there so when you get there, I'm already there, but at least my body. You know, we kind of think that way. And say, obey him to do that. Jacob is preaching a sermon in his death that you're not going to stay in Egypt, you're going to come here. And Joseph echoes that basket that his bones be carried back as well whenever they leave. 400 years later, but they did it. So they take him because Jacob believed God just like Abraham did, just like Isaac did. Jacob believed, and yet they never saw the promise that God gave them. That came many, many years later. Uh, But they believed, they trusted God, and everything they did, they acted in the same way. And where he has to be buried, it's kind of interesting to me. Rachel is not buried there. and Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife. Yet Rachel only had Joseph and Benjamin which were then Jacob's favorite sons because they came from Rachel. Leah gave birth to Judah. She was God's choice. She was the first one that uh, Jacob had married because uh, his father-in-law fooled him. But, but that was God's choice. She gave birth to Judah who is going to give us Christ and we learned as we went through the book of Genesis that God was preserving that bloodline so it would not be tampered with at all by the enemy, uh, Satan, by anyone else, that it was a line that brought us straight down uh, to Christ. And so as a sign of faith, take me back, bury me there. And they obey that. But then we come all the way down to verse 15. And here's where I want to make a lot of application of this chapter. Because... It, it speaks to the, the, what happened to Joseph and how he had to forgive his brothers. And that, that's why I called it uh, the, the end of the beginning. But I said the ability to forgive lies in your ability to be forgiven. So we see the end of an era with Jacob's death. But now we're going to see the end of contention or division uh, in this family. You see, the problem with betrayal, and this is a quote from someone else. I don't know who said it. So uh, I can't say, give it credit. But the problem with betrayal is it's not done by an enemy. Now, that's just common sense, isn't it? I expect an enemy to want to kill me in, in the sense of this idea. I would expect an enemy to try to do me harm. But you don't expect a family member or a friend, a close friend, to try to do you harm. And so we call it betrayal. And that's why betrayal hurts so badly. I mean, it hurts if if your enemy injures you. It still hurts. But man, it's it's a debilitating hurt when it's someone you love, someone you trusted, someone you thought would always have your back, and then they just go, no, I don't think so. That is painful. Well, Joseph had been through that kind of betrayal. And I would ask you, do you think there's unforgiveness in the church? I guarantee there's unforgiveness in the church. Well, it might be toward you know between individuals, but but I've been in enough churches to know I've I've seen it uh, hurt a church. I've seen it mess up a church. See what Joseph did here was protect the unity of his family. We're going to see it in a minute. I've already read it, so you know that Joseph says you don't need my forgiveness, and I'll come back to that in just a second. But. Joseph is protecting the unity of his family by not demanding revenge. They were were against him, but he's not going to be against them. He's here to help them. In our new members class in the past five and a half years, um, I've read this covenant and people have signed off on this covenant that we make with the church, uh, with each other in the church. And we're working on fixing the bylaws, bringing them up to date. So much much of it's out of date and and not applicable to how we actually even do things. Now, a lot of it uh, that's written, we don't do it that way. It's not because it's wrong, it's just times changed and we do it differently. But but I want to read to you what the new members of our church in the past five and a half years have signed off on, and it'll be in that new bylaws. It says this, Having received Christ as my Lord and Savior and been baptized, and being in agreement with Calvary's statements of faith, strategy, and structure, and agreed to follow its governing documents, I now feel led by the Holy Spirit to unite with the Calvary church family. In doing so, I commit myself to God and to other church members to do the following. Number one, I will protect the unity of the church. This is the very first thing I ask them to pledge to. And here's the subpoints: By acting in love toward other members. Duh. By refusing to gossip. By following the leaders. I'm going to come back to point one. Let me read the whole thing. I'll come back to point one. I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, by warmly welcoming those who visit. By the way, in the long version of that, we have scriptures for each one of these. I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve by my pastors, and by developing a servant's heart. And I'll support the testimony of the church by attending faithfully, by living a godly life, and by giving regularly. I go back to that first one. We are to act in love toward one another. How many of you were in Sunday school? How many of you should have been in Sunday school? That's all of us. Actually, that was part of what you were studying today in Romans 12, the unity of the body and loving each other. And, and there's following the leaders. The Bible says to submit to those that God has put in leadership over you in the book of Hebrews. But the middle one says but by refusing to gossip. And I think that can apply here because gossip is misunderstood. A lot of people think gossip is when you tell something, whether you know it's true or not, and it, it's got this idea that it might not be true, but it might be, but, I, but, but let's make gossip what it is. Gossip is when you repeat something that's none of your business, doesn't affect you, and you have no power to change it. I mean, if you want to tell your story, that's not gossip. But if you tell me your story, and I tell it to somebody else, that's gossip. Because they don't need to know, right? Right? And if I can't do anything about it, me telling somebody else isn't going to help because they can't do anything about it. And so many times in churches, people love, hey, did you hear so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. And they just want to talk about it. The Bible says that God hates, in fact, that's the worst one, he who causes division among brothers. Joseph's brothers are divided. Only Joseph can bring them together. Remember, he's a type of Christ. Don't forget that. I'm going to keep coming back to that. Uh, in fact, I heard an illustration about gossip from a, another pastor, and this was 20 or so years ago. And, and I named titles. My wife said, You might ought to be careful. I said, ah, it was a long time ago, a different church. Nobody even knows about it. So I'm going to do it anyway, okay? And that is this he, he told, it, told me this story because it was a church with a lot of pastors, and I mean a lot, and a lot of secretaries. It was a bigger church. Much bigger church. And he said there was this one particular secretary. And members of the church would stop at her desk all the time. And they would be complaining about something in the church or the pastors or something like that. And so he asked her to come into his office. And he asked her this question. Do you know why garbage trucks go to garbage dumps? And she looked at him funny and said, what? He said, do you know why garbage trucks go to garbage dumps? Now, if you're asked to come in the pastor's office, that's the first thing he asks you. You know, you're going to be a little confused. She said, I'm not sure what you're driving at. He said, they go to garbage dumps because the garbage dump will receive their garbage. And if you don't close your garbage dump, it will have been nice having you work with us. So he said, nobody ever stopped at her desk after that. Friend, let me tell you something. He said, well, I don't gossip, but somebody was telling me. <laughs> well if you're listening to it you got your garbage dump open you say I don't want to hear that is there a problem can we, can we deal with it let's go see the person you're about to tell me about I don't want to do that well then I want to hear your mess because all it does is divide the brothers and God condemns it I, this week church member told me you know there's people upset what's going on with you With that, all this who I said, tell them to come talk to me. They won't come talk to you. Please come talk to me. I promise I don't preach at you behind, you know, in my office like I do up here. All right? I, I just want to hear it. I want to help you. I want to pray with you. I want to figure it out. So do all the other pastors. We've all said this. It doesn't help to tell someone else because they can't do anything about it. You only you have to go to, to the one who can help. And and Joseph could have gossiped, man. He He could have told those Egyptians, well, I'll tell you what my brothers did when I was a kid. As far as we know, Joseph never told anybody else. He never told any of his friends. He never told Pharaoh. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say it. But it seems that way because when they got there, everybody goes, oh, you're Joseph's brothers. It's so good to meet you. Joseph could have said, well, let me tell you what they're really like. He could have held a grudge. He could have just that whole time. Well, you know, I mean, y'all know what happened, right? I just make sure you know. He's going out there to check on his brothers, report to his dad. They see him coming. They said, let's kill him. They grabbed, they ripped his robe off of him. His dad had given a sign of authority, threw him in a pit, sat down to have supper. They're going to kill him later. Judah's trying to talk him out of actually killing him. said, well, let's not kill him. You know, let's just try to, you know, give him an attitude adjustment or something. And Judah's gone. A, uh, or the ones who want to kill him were gone. And a caravan of slave traders came by or traders. And, and Judah sells him to them just to preserve his life. And so his brothers sold him into slavery. He gets to Egypt. Somehow he gets a great job. He, he is the, uh, the butler in the home of the head of the armies of Egypt. But he had this wife that wasn't real faithful, and she tried to seduce Joseph. And when he said no, she lies about and gets him thrown into prison. Joseph, the Bible doesn't record anything he did wrong. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he sinned. He's just a man. But the Bible's trying to paint a picture. This guy is innocent for all this to happen to him. He didn't do anything. His brothers caused that. He didn't do anything to Potiphar's wife to cause that. But he goes into prison. He's in there a while, and there's two guys that come out of the, uh, the Pharaoh's home. And one was his baker. One was this uh, wine taster. And they had this weird dream. Joseph interprets the dream. Says you're going to go back in three days. But they're going to hang you. But you're going back in three days. And you will uh, be restored to your position. Don't forget me when you get there. Got it. Did you notice that? Three days. Then death. And life. Picture of what Christ did. He died for us. And his death paid for our sin. And he rose from the dead. There's a picture there. But guess what? The guy who was saved forgot for two more years. Joseph's in prison, two years. He could have been going, oh, I can't believe I'm still in prison. I, man, when I get a hold of my brothers, I'm going to do something. When he gets out of prison, it's because Pharaoh had a dream. And he goes and interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he went from prison to being the steward of, of Egypt in a day. Now, I was just explaining the word steward, my name, But I don't spell it with a D, it's a T on the end, just in case you're confused. But the Bible word is steward, it's it's a word in English, and what it means is the keeper of the king's possessions. So if the king had to go off, he would appoint a steward to stay in, and that became a family name, at least for me, uh, because the king didn't come back, and the stewards became the kings eventually. King James, it started Jamestown, his last name was Stuart. He was the sixth Stuart King of Scotland, the first of England. And so that name evolved into that, that understanding. And Joseph in a day becomes the keeper of all of Pharaoh's stuff. Pharaoh said, you know what? You can do this better than me. I'm just going to sit back and let you handle it. So Joseph has complete power. If he would held on to a grudge, if he wanted to tell him, hey, hey, I've got this problem. I've got these 11 brothers. Well, 10 of them. They are not too good. And this is what they did. This is how I got to you. This is how I even got here. I want to go kill them. And the Pharaoh would have went, sure, go ahead, whatever. Joseph could have sent a hit squad from, the, from Egypt's armies to do it. But we see no hint of that in Scripture at all. We don't see a grudge. We don't see vengeance. We don't see gossip. We don't see any of that. Rather, we only see forgiveness. You see, Joseph is a picture of Christ, right? All we see is forgiveness. And these brothers are still worried about it. I read it in here. It's amazing. You see, a guilty conscience will do that to you. In the Old Testament, they had a sacrificial system that God put into place. And they would sacrifice lambs and goats and bulls and all of that. When we come to the book of Hebrews, it says the problem with those things were they were only a picture of what Christ was going to do, number one. And it, it was a ceremonial cleansing and... If you did that you were saying you were saying I trust that God's going to take care of my sin one day basically that one day God's going to deal with it but he had them sacrificing things to show he's going to take blood to cleanse us of our sin and so we come into the New Testament and Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats wasn't good enough to cleanse our conscience in fact it couldn't even cleanse our sin it was just a sign of faith But when Jesus died on the cross. And he shed his blood. His blood not only washes us clean of our sin. Because he who knew no sin. Became sin Corinthians says. That we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. And his blood not only takes away the guilt of our sin. It cleanses our conscience of our sin. You see. Think about the apostle Paul. Never did he forget that he used to kill Christians. He says it later in his life. But here What is what he said, but forgetting everything that's behind, I press on to the mark of the prize of the high calling of Christ. I want to look like Jesus. I'm going to go there. This is what he saved me from. But you see, it didn't stop him. He didn't go back and go, oh, I was a murderer. I'm still a murderer. I can't believe i murdered. He knows that, but God cleansed him of his sin, cleansed him of his conscience so he could serve Christ. He goes, I don't forget this. It's a motivator, but I'm heading to Christ. And I'm not going to let it stop me. And Paul continued on, and, and by the way, here's a hint to come in a couple of weeks. First beatitude is poor in spirit. I won't tell you what all that means, but here's how Paul described what I'm going to drive at in two weeks. He said In me, "That is in my flesh dwells no good thing." Now wait a minute. Hold on a second, Paul. You wrote 13 books in the New Testament. You started churches. You started missions. You're the first guy to be a missionary. You start first guy to be a church planner outside of Jerusalem. Well, you mean that you did great things. You know what Paul never forgot? He never forgot what you and I forget quite often. Here I am. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I come to God desperate. God, I'm, I am lost. I need you to be my Savior. And we find God's grace is sufficient to save us. And he begins to develop his character in our life. And we get more and more like Christ. And then we get a certain point down the road. And we go, man, I'm doing good. And I think I'm better. You're never better. You know why you feel guilty? You are guilty. But God is just, and Jesus' death paid for your sin. And he cleanses your conscience. And I don't care if you've been saved 100 years, if you're still breathing this earth's air, you've got nothing in you that can respond to the goodness of God except the Holy Spirit living in you. And you need him every day of your life to do his will. Now, as you exercise yourself in what he's doing, sure, you, you understand that more and more and you obey more and more. But it's always the power of God in you. It's never in your own power. And you forget that. Joseph didn't forget that. You'll see why. Because when his brothers turn, here's what they say. Your father gave this command, for he died. Say to Joseph, forgive their, uh, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. Signed, Joseph's dad. Y'all remember Epstein? And welcome back, Cotter. Some of, y'all, some of y'all either won't admit you watch television or you're too young. That's one of the two. And so Epstein would come to school and hand in... Please, please excuse Epstein for not doing his homework. Signed, Epstein's mom. <laughs> now, I read one commentator says, Jacob may have said this. I don't believe that. I, a commentator's giving his opinion. I'm going to give you my opinion. I think they made it up. I think they're so terrified. Dad's gone. He can't stop Joseph. Now Joseph's going to get us. And they tell him, uh, Dad said you got to forgive us. What is Joseph's response to that? The very next words after they make their little speeches. And Joseph wept. Why would he weep? Because his brothers didn't understand how much he loved them. He had the power to kill them. They'd already be dead if he'd have wanted them dead. And yet they didn't believe it. Seventeen years now they've been back together. And Joseph's never made a move against them, never hinted at anything. And they are still afraid. And Jesus looked over a city and cried. Oh, how I would have just gathered you under my wings, but you wouldn't let me. That love that he has for us, he weeps when we don't receive his forgiveness. And if we receive his forgiveness, the next thing he said, am I in the place of God that I should wreak vengeance on you? In the middle, he gives them assurance. He says, guys, Joseph said to them, do not fear. Am I in the place of God? You meant it for evil. God meant it for good to bring it about. Many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do not fear. I will provide for you. He assures them. I got it. I'm going to provide for you. Don't worry. So many Christians are running around just thinking God's going to get them in the next minute. When God wants to provide everything you need for godliness. Paul had a, a problem in his life. It may be in the midst of pain. It says he had a, a, a troubling spirit and he, and he asked... The Lord to take it away three times. He said, no, my grace is sufficient. I'll be with you in that. I'm not going to take away the pain. But I'm going to be with you. But it's not because I don't love you. It's because it's going to keep you on the right path. Paul said it. It kept me from being too proud. It made me realize that I'm nothing without God. And I need His grace every day. Joseph just gives them grace. And he says, he made him cry. Guys, I love you. I'm going to provide for you. Am I in the place of God to judge you? And you see that's what we forget we see people and they do bad things and we want to judge them they are only doing what the enemy who has captured them our enemy who has captured them tells them to do they need deliverance joseph's family needed deliverance joseph brings unity to his family so that jesus can be born I'm not saying Joseph understood this at that time but that's why God is doing this through Joseph is so that Jesus could come through that nation to us from the tribe of Judah so that the righteous son of God born of a virgin could be born live a perfect life and take on our sin and nail it to a cross and God says to us that when we're forgiven we have to forgive others he's After he taught us the Lord's Prayer, he says, because if you don't forgive your brothers their sins, God won't forgive you yours. Because God has forgiven us of infinitely more than we'll ever have to forgive somebody else for. Because our sin is against God. Someone's sin against us is just a sin against us, but our sin is against God. And if God can forgive us, we have to forgive. Well, then Joseph dies. This book ends with his death and his funeral. You heard it. He lived a long time. He, he got to see the third generation of one of his sons. And then when Joseph's about to die, he says to his brothers who aren't dead yet, that's kind of amazing because Joseph's the second youngest. I mean, he's just before the baby. And yet some of his brothers are outliving him, and he's 110. And he says, when you go back to Canaan take my bones with you he knows they're going back too. he has that same faith when Christ died was buried and rose again what did he say I'm going to leave you behind but I'm not going to leave you alone I'm going to give you a comforter but where I'm going I'm going to take you there later and so we can be together forever that's John 14 In my father's house are many mansions weren't so I'd have told you But I'm going to go prepare a place for you. when I got it fixed, I'm going to call you up and you'll come to me. Well, how can we apply this? Well, a couple of things, three things, actually. First of all, have you come to a place in your life where you've asked for forgiveness, where you've repented of your sin from God, you've asked forgiveness from God, where you've gone to God and said, God, here's my mess. Please forgive me of it. Take my life. I'm yours. Because God will cleanse your conscience. I'm not saying you'll never sin again. But you will know that God has forgiven you of those sins. And even as you go forward, his forgiveness is always present with you. And then secondly, have you forgiven people around you? What is your reaction to people? I know that in my flesh, I have a tendency to react wrongly to people. And many times I have to go and apologize because I just... That first reaction is usually the wrong one I could give you a hundred examples Out of my own life Where I've really messed up And God just had to fix it But guess what? God can change you And God is changing me So that I don't do that so much Do you say I'm going to get them back I'm going to do this I'm going to No Or is your reaction You know what? God loves you And you need some help And I want to love you And pray for you And help you And then thirdly With whom do you need to reconcile and restore a relationship? Maybe you're the one holding the grudge. Maybe you're the one that wants vengeance. God said, I'm the only one who can judge perfectly. Let me handle the revenge. You just love people. And I'll give you my love so that you can love others. I know people aggravate other people. God brings sandpaper in our lives to help sand off the rough edges, make us look more like Jesus. So accept that kind of pain as Paul did, as Joseph did, as Christ did to be reminders of the grace of God to live here and now